Scrum. I dig it. Okay. 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 Sounds pretty good. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good, yeah. Mm. I like it. Uh, okay. Are you ready in Nebraska? Oh, yeah. Are you ready in Kentucky? See. Are you ready out there in podcast land? I hope so, because in 5, 4, 3, 2, welcome back, everybody, to the Savage Cromcast, Season 5, Episode 6, The TNT Punch. I'm Josh. I'm Luke. And I'm John. And with our powers combined... We are the Cromcast. Hey guys, welcome back. It's good to be back. Back yeah. in black. Dynamite. Spring is here. You picked the wrong ACDC song. <laughs> what? I, I thought we were rolling with an ACDC thing. <laughs> yep. You led me astray. I'm sorry. Yes, we are back in black to discuss the TNT punch. <laughs> We're explosive tonight. That's right. Yeah. We're, 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 uh, <laughs> I said that I, with I, as monotone a delivery as possible. <laughs> yes, that's right. Luke. We're on fire tonight. Uh, about to listen to this podcast, we salute you. <laughs> How long can we keep this going? For those about to rock. You might say we're going to rock so hard, we're going to shake your foundations. It ain't no noise pollution. Mm. It's uh, We'll do dirty deeds and we'll do them dirt cheap. I'm going to be all up on you like a heat seeker. I can't. I'm, 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 I'm tapped out. You win. Man, I feel like I'm walking a razor's edge right now. <laughs> I'm thunderstruck. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna keep slipping in some ACDC oh. <laughs> song titles this episode. <laughs> yeah. So that's where we are tonight with uh our moods and <laughs> podcasting acumen. Um Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're here to discuss the TNT Punch, a Sailor Steve Costigan story by Robert E. Howard. But before we get into any of that business, let's do the upfront business. John, I see you dancing. I see you shaking that thing. Booty scoop. Are you drinking? Uh, yes, I'm, uh, of course, drinking the Wild Turkey 101, the you, Sailor Steve Costigan of whiskeys. You've made that commitment to drink 101 during the entirety of the season, right? I, th- I think we'll follow through on that. We'll see. Okay. How about you two? Well, I've got my uh, custom Chromecast mug with the nice. uh, lopsided Viking helmet on one side. <laughs> uh, about half full of Evan Williams 1783. That's what we had last time. It's a small batch sour mash whiskey. Uh, 43% alcohol by volume. That's an 86 proof bourbon. It's pretty nice. Cool. What you got, Luke? I got a little uh, Seagram's Extra Dye Gin <laughs> straight out of, uh, well, where's it at now? Lawrenceburg, Indiana? Is that right? I don't know. Bottled by Pernod Ricard USA, Fort Smith, Arkansas, but I think it's... I think Fort it's, Smith, Arkansas? I think it's Lawrenceburg, or it's somewhere. Okay. It's it's gin that's made right, right here in the American Midwest. Not straight out of Surrey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some good Hoosier juniper berries went into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, all the junipers in uh, Indiana. <laughs> uh, so I noticed that you made a cocktail. Are you are you having an old fashioned? What do you have there? I am. That's that's what I'm doing. I'm doing 
A gin old fashioned. I'll be damned. Huh. I've never seen a gin old fashioned. It's pretty good. I like it. How does it compare? Would you say it's uh, a little more uh, floral? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. If you like gin, you would probably like a gin old fashioned, but if you don't, then don't, don't try it thinking you're going to get something that's different. <laughs> Cause I mean, that's the thing, like, like the bourbon or the whiskey old fashions, it's, you can taste the whiskey in it. So if you do the, the gin thing, you're, it's, it's, it's not quite, I think as a, as, as badass as a, as a martini mm-hmm. where you're basically just drinking gin that's been shook up in water real quick or not water, but like ice, you know, mm-hmm. it just gets it cold. This is at least a, a, a little bit of sweetener added to it, but it's still pretty much just, I mean, it's like two shots of gin and like a quarter shot of sugar and a little shaky shake of bitters. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got made- a bag of black licorice that's staring at me. Maybe I'll mix that with my whiskey. There you go. <laughs> Chase one with the other. Yuck! So you don't that's... like black licorice, Luke? No, man. I'm 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 not a fan. But I mean, you said that, and I just thought of like Jägermeister, and I am not a like a Jäger fan. I don't know. I'm having this memory of a time that we did trivia, and the uh, Jägermeister girls were there <laughs> with all their Jäger paraphernalia and their free I remember samples. That. Yeah, they were giving us like light up bling and uh-huh. and like antlers and hats yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah yeah i think we were wearing towels as capes yeah that was like superhero night right? that was superhero night there's <laughs> some good good pictures out there mm-hmm. maybe i'll share one or two <laughs> well that's what we're drinking but now we've got to move into the next segment of the show the segment we like to call one thing John, do you have something to share? Do you have something you'd like to share with the class? I, I do, Professor. Uh, my one thing is Samurai Jack. Ooh. <laughs> do you want me to talk about Samurai Jack? I'd, I'd like or that. Or does everybody know what Samurai Jack is? And for the people who are perhaps uninitiated, what is Samurai Jack? It's a Jindy Tartakovsky cartoon from the early 2000s. And he's famous for... Dexter's Lab and Powderpuff Girls and all those kind of things. Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. The, this uh, was his more mature cartoon. The uh, short-lived Star Wars Clone Wars. Yep, yep. Clone Wars, Clone Wars, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a show about a samurai warrior who is transported through time by a magical space demon. And they're like mortal enemies. And he needs to defeat the space demon named Aku and find a time portal back to the past so that he can fix the timeline. It's a gross oversimplification, but that's pretty much the, the gist of it. So I've mowed through the, the old four seasons I have on DVD, and they just started the fifth season after like a decade or more off the air. Yeah. They've uh, brought it back on Adult Swim. Has it started? It has. March 11th it started. Oh. It's pretty ball. I have missed it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's on Adult Swim, so now there's like swearing and blood. Have you seen the trailer? Like the preview to it? Negative. It's have you ever watched Samurai Jack? Uh, n- no. 
I mean, I, I guess I've seen just like a little bit, but but I don't know. If, I can't ever recall. Like whenever Josh was just singing the intro music, that was not ringing a bell. Okay. Uh, Samurai. To behold. Go ahead. It's beautiful to watch. It's just a really well animated show. Yeah. Like he's just got a really distinct art style. I don't know that I would say watch it for a groundbreaking plot or anything, but just to watch the way the guy draws and the style of animation he's created, it, uh-huh. it's very worth it. It's fun. There are some episodes that are, that are, I think, uh, I, I think you could easily recommend them to people. Uh, there, there's one with no dialogue, right? Probably more than mm-hmm. one, but one in particular that I'm thinking of that's like a silent film sort of thing. Um, it's it's beautiful. There's uh, more than a passing uh, similarity in some episodes to Lone Wolf and Cub, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Miller's Ronin yeah. is a heavy influence on this thing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like as far as the... Like the overall story for it or not the overall story, but the story that you think you're getting okay. in Ronin. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, on the surface story. Okay. So chapter one or, or, or book one and two of Ronin. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. There, there's, there's a demon. There's a, there's a samurai. Uh huh. Yeah. It's a weird technology driven future. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Most of the, um, most of the enemies that, Samurai Jack fights are robots. And so, uh, you know, the, the violence is cartoony and, and not really that dark or, uh, aggressive, I I guess, but you know, the, the machines fighting the machines allows Jack to, you know, chop off part of the enemy that he's fighting. And then then you get the, 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 the oil splatter or whatever. So he's not chopping up people, but he's, he does chop up quite a few robots. During the course yes. of the show. Cool. Lots of robots. <laughs> cool. That's a good, that's a good one, John. Are Thank you, en- are you enjoying the new season? I am. It's, it's really beautiful. It's very different. The setup is that 50 years have passed in the timeline of the show. He's been trapped in the future an extra 50 years and he doesn't age. And it's him. Like he's given up on his mission to get back to the past and save everything. And he's trying to bring himself up out of his funk and become Samurai Jack again. Cool. How about you, Luke? Oh, okay. Oh. Is your one thing ACDC? <laughs> My one thing is uh, Jack London's Call of the Wild. We talked about that st- uh, that story specifically a couple episodes back, and I was able to get a copy of the book, and I read through it in pretty short order. It's a, it's a short novel. Uh it's a lot of fun, man. I, I really enjoyed revisiting this story because I don't think I had read it since like high school days. Maybe maybe when I was like early in college or something, I reread it. But it's been, you know, more than a decade at this point. And so it's it had more oomph this time around, I think, than when I read it the first time around, just because I'm older and I'm probably a little bit more sentimental, that kind of thing. Uh, but it's cool. It's cool, especially in light of the the discussions we're having here uh talking about different styles of fighting we've got different boxers that that tend to use different tactics and you know think on their feet or don't think on their feet so much when they're when they're in a tussle and it's kind of cool how jack london can sort of present that uh with with dogs as the main character so so bucks a badass and 
and it was a lot of <laughs> it was a lot of fun to read such a short uh intense novel it was it was it's a very howardian style of writing i mean i guess i the the more correct thing to say is that howard was a was a a jack london inspired author and so you can see a lot of that pulp delivery that we that we love so much on the show yeah that's cool. a that's a book and I, I i know that we talked about this when we were talking about dogs and you know the coevolution of of dogs and people a few episodes back uh but I really loved both White Fang and Call of the Wild, and it's been a really long time since I read either of those stories. So, um, you're, the fact that you picked up this collection of Jack London makes me kind of uh, interested in revisiting some of those Jack London stories. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I almost jumped right into one of his other one of his other novels because Call of the Wild is the only novel of his that I've read. So, so there's this collection that I have has all four of his short novels as well as a whole slew of his short stories. And so I read a couple of the different short stories that are in here, but uh, there's one in here called the sea wolf, which I I'm going to probably jump into after, after I read my next book. So I'm going to bounce back and forth, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get back into some James Elroy and get just really down and out. (laughs) (laughs) nihilistic for another book and then i'll come back out and read another jack london maybe we can put jack london on the road to champions he's got a boxing story right yeah he does have one it's called a piece of steak yeah maybe we'll add that on maybe we think luke maybe we will what do you think luke i would love that cool okay john i would love that (laughs) consider consider it done luke (laughs) (laughs) fine luke fine hey josh hey luke what's your one thing uh, my one thing is a comic book series I've been revisiting lately. What is that? And it's one that you actually, sir, you got me into Ooh. years ago. Um, and it's one that I don't know why I never gave it a shot before then, uh, because it's become one of my favorite comic book series. And that is Hellboy. Hellboy is a definitely a pulp inspired character. He is uh, the self-built world's greatest paranormal investigator. Uh, he combats ghosts and goblins and fairies and fae and demons of all sorts. And uh, if you haven't read this series for whatever reason, you owe it to yourself to read it. It definitely is steeped in the weird tales uh, era of pulp uh, adventure, pulp uh, horror. You can absolutely see the influence of H.P. Lovecraft and, and Robert E. Howard in the character. Um, and so I've been reading through Hellboy from uh, the first volume, which is The Right Hand of Doom, and I've made it up to volume four, which is called, I think, um, The Conqueror Worm, Yeah, which is the one I'm on right now. And so Hellboy fights Nazis, he fights uh, aliens, he fights uh, uh, fae and fairies and... <laughs> The old ones under the ground, right? The, yeah, the old ones under the ground. Uh, it's it's just so cool and, and so eclectic. And early on in the series, you won't have any idea what uh, uh, Mignola's doing here and how he's going to pull all this together. But um, by the end of the series, you'll look back on what you've read and you'll go, wow, that really was a fantastic journey from the first volume of Hellboy up through the end. I think you'll be 
really happy with the time you've spent with this character. So if you haven't read Hellboy or if you haven't read him in a while, it might be time to dig out your Hellboy books or uh, do what I did and go to the library and look for copies of Hellboy to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Read some comics. And that's three things. We put them together into a nice little package. We give it to you and we call it. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Hey, I have an announcement to make before we get started with the story. This well, sounds important. You, you should announce serious voice. Oh, in serious adult voice here. Dad voice. Dad voice. So uh, it came to our attention a few weeks ago that something funky was happening with the podcast feed. And that is that our new episodes were not posting. What happened was our show has officially reached the point where the number of episodes we've released has exceeded our feeds capacity to keep all of those episodes uh, in the feed. And so what we've had to do is pare down the number of episodes that we can keep in our podcast feed. What that means for you is if you're interested in delving back into the first few uh, episodes of the Chromecast, then you'll need to go to archive.org Um, We'll post a link to our profile um, on archive into the show notes of this episode and every episode moving forward from here on from here eternity until eternity until Ragnarok. Uh, The new episodes should post just fine. And if you want to dig into the uh, back issues, I guess the back episodes of the Chromecast, then you'll need to direct your browser to archive.org. And uh, again, we'll post a link in our show notes and thanks a lot to all the folks who let us know that something funky was happening with the feed. Uh, It should be cleared up now, but if anyone has any issues, just send us an email or shoot us a message on Facebook. Let us know what podcasting app you're using. That would be useful as well. And we'll try to get it sorted out. And I guess as a final note too, we have sort of episode lists within seasons that we've generated too. That's right. You know, at every sort of break where we get to the completion of a season, we'll, we'll keep that sort of updated too. all of the various roads that we walk down. We'll have uh, guideposts. You'll be able to easily access all of those various episodes in the right sequence. Right. And you can always go to our blog, which is located at the Chromecast.blogspot.com. And from there you'll be able to, use our um, tags for season one up through the current season. Uh, Click on those and you can access all of those episodes in sequence. Yeah, it's true. So our old, (laughs) you can find pretty very, this is very dire. (laughs) You can can find it. It's there. Uh, So uh, just wanted to let you know, in in case you did want to delve back into the, uh, older episodes of the show. Maybe you just found us. Maybe you want to see where we came from and go digging around into the Chromecast history. It's easy to do that. There's just an extra step you'll have to go through. And that is going to archive.org and downloading the episodes from there. Into the ancient tomes. Peleus, right? He was one of, yeah. Peleus, the the party, the party party animal, party animal. (laughs) Dad voice is over. (laughs) Just wanted to let everybody know just in case. Now we're going to talk about the TNT Punch or Waterfront Law or the Waterfront Wallop. First Boy. published in Action Stories, July of 1931. Uh, this uh, Action Stories issue 
Had a pretty sweet cowboy on the front. Let's see that cowboy. Whoosh. Whoosh. He's got like a bit of straw hanging out of his mouth, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, cover story is Gunman's Legion by Walt Coburn, which sounds a lot like George Co or what's his name? James Coburn. Nice. I, I was thinking yeah, Rooster George- Cogburn. I was thinking Rooster uh, Cogburn, but I was also thinking our buddy Andy, who used to uh, play D&D with us, his Savage Worlds character. Wasn't it Rooster Coburn? Or <laughs> Well, he he named his, oh, his characters were always called Winston. That's right. Winston. Yeah. I, I have this memory of some Coburn. Yeah. I don't know. Regardless. You a, a cowboy hat, Luke? Say again? Do you own a cowboy hat? I don't know. I've got a, I've got a couple, like... Not like fedora, like Panama Jack hats. My old, my old man hats that I bust out now in the summer times because I got my my bald pate needs to be protected. <laughs> when you mow, <laughs> that's right. When I'm an old man and I gotta mow the yard, gotta mow and weed eat. <laughs> I got to protect my pate. That's right. That's me slapping. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is not in fight stories, uh, as Luke indicated. This one is in. Uh, adventure stories, right? I got action stories. Action stories, that's right. And so they were a pulp that went through, let's see, started in September 1921 through f- the fall of 1950. There was a brief hiatus, it says, on Wikipedia at the end of 1932, but a pretty long-running pulp magazine. Cool. And as Wikipedia says, it was an adventure pulp. It did not feature the horror and science fiction of other pulp magazines. It focused on real world adventure stories at first, mostly Westerns, but branching out into sports fiction, war stories and adventures in exotic countries. This is a story that Chris Gruber is also quite fond of in the introduction to boxing stories from Bison Press. He describes waterfront law or the TNT punch as the, the story he would tell people to best define sailor Steve Costigan, saying it has all the elements that Costigan's story is so humorous and exciting. Excellent fight scenes, deceitful crooks, and an all-too-easily-duped Costigan. What? Which I think is a pretty pretty fair statement. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, this is pretty definitive from the, the stories that we've read so far. I would say this has elements of each of those. He got $70 for the tale. Man, that's a good that's a good stack, it sounds like. Yeah, that's not well, too Well, that was something we learned from Chris and Mark, right? That he was making more money off of these than he was Conan and some of the other stuff. These folks right. were actually paying him. Well, yeah, and that's what I was about to say is that Farnsworth Wright stopped sending the checks, right? So <laughs> it stands to reason that he would make more money. But had he actually been paid for the stories that he wrote uh, in terms of those Conan stories, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how things right. would have stacked up. Yeah. But where are we at when we begin the tale, Josh? Uh, We're in South Africa, Cape Town, as a matter of fact. And Steve and his best friend, the bulldog, Mike, are sort of, they're having a hard time. They've run out of money really quickly after hitting the shore because Mike bit a cop, right? Mike bite him, bit a dude. What, like on his pork and beans? That's what I remember, yeah. <laughs> there's there's another there's another term that's used, but it was oh wait. Oh, ham and eggs, something. Ham and eggs. There's some other <laughs> term that comes up later on. But a man uh, another another man got bit on his nether nether parts by Mike is how I interpreted it. <laughs> What's Mike's and deal, it, man? 
it, there was a fine of ten dollars involved. So Sailor Steve and Mike are flat busted. Yeah, his folding money has now run out. <laughs> so he's kind of walking around Cape Town, meandering around, trying to figure out what he's going to do. When he runs into a man by the name of Shifty Karen, manager of Kid Del Rano, and he's the crookedest leather pilot which ever swiped the gate receipts. Well, it's implicit in his name, right? <laughs> Shifty. Never trust a man who calls himself Shifty. He probably wears suspenders and a belt. Doesn't even trust his own pants. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I, I picture him having a really big bow tie and, like, chomping on a cigar. Like Maybe the, even the a stub of one. Maybe. Like a bolo tie? Uh-huh. But Shifty is super pumped to see Steve. Why is that, Luke? I don't, I don't remember. Why does he like him? He wants to see Steve because he's got a problem. Shifty's big some- fighter, Kid Del Rano, has run into a bit of a pickle. He's been thrown <laughs> oh, in jail. He needs, yeah, yeah. He needs to wrestle up some bail money, right? And, and he sees Steve, and he knows that he can appeal to Steve's soft and kind heart yeah. and his eagle-sharp sense of American patriotism <laughs> to, to help a fellow American out of a, a British South African jail. Why is he in the in the clink anyway? He says, we got, we got a raw deal when we come here. These Britishers went and disqualified the kid for merely biting one of their ham and eggers. That's right. And the kid didn't mean nothing by it. He is just kind of excitable that way. Yeah, he bit a guy. And Costigan says, yeah, I've still got the scars on my neck from where he bit me the last time I fought him. This is not the first time they've they've worked or they've encountered each other. Apparently, there was a ten round bout in Seattle, where the Palooka known as Kid Del Rano and uh, Old Sailor Steve fought, and then there was another time in San Francisco. So they fought up and down the West Coast, and neither time really went Sailor Steve's way. It sounds like Kid Del Rano is a no doubt, no good, rotten, low down cheat. You might say he's got the TNT punch. Oi! 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 He puts some stank on it, right? He does. Yeah, he's a good puncher, but he's also a biter. He's just—he's got a lot of problems associated a, with him. He's a biter. He's teething. He's man. I'm smelling something fishy coming up. Does it smell like turpentine, mm. <laughs> dude? But, but anyway, Shifty, Shifty is able. Go he ahead, John. He to Sailor Steve's patriotism and says, you got to get him out. Are you going to let these these British people, these limeys, these these <laughs> island dwellers throw a fellow American in jail? And Steve is like, hell no. I, I You know, I, this is America, or it will be. <laughs> or it will be. <laughs> We're in South Africa, <laughs> I, I think. I, <laughs> I ain't fought limeys all over the world to let an American be given the works by him now, I said. I ain't got a cent, Shifty, but I'm going to get some dough. Meet me at the American Seaman's Bar in three hours. I'll have the dough for the kids fine, or I'll know the reason why. It explains, though, he's not doing it just for the kid. He's doing it because he's an American. So am I. I reckon I ain't so small that I'll let personal grudges stand in the way of helping a countryman in a foreign land. Against the Brits. It's definitely a Toby Keith song. (laughs) 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 So Stevie heads off towards the South African Sports Arena. Where he he meets up with Bulawayo Hurley, yep. who is the promoter he's at a this fight. arena. Yeah, he's a fight promoter here. Um, and I guess he Costigan knows uh, Bulawayo. He just kind of barges in and says, "I want to fight. I want to fight right now. 
I want somebody who'll fight with me. Let's, let's fight for the house purse. Uh, we can get some money together and, and I want $30, uh, but he actually says I want 10 pounds, right? And yeah. so Bulawayo is like, he is like a mustache twirler. Like he's just, it's like, oh, well, it's a strange thing. There's a guy here right in front of you that wants the same thing. In the same room that we yeah. didn't even, Kosakin <laughs> didn't even notice. But as Can it we, turns out, Bucko Brent is asking me the same blighting thing. So is Bulawayo a, a black man? I don't know. We're in South Africa. I was kind of curious with the name Bulawayo. It's in, it's in quotes. So I don't know if it's a nickname or if it's his actual name. Yeah, that's a good question because I'm I'm glancing down now at the description here. Yeah. He's a ticket shark. Uh, let's see. Send me the promoter, Bulawayo Hurley. Um, there's no real physical description of him. He's got a big no. mustache. I was just curious because I I also, after seeing the story was in South Africa, I read up a little bit on the history of the country and there were some laws enacted that it would seem would make it difficult for him to own a sports arena in Cape Town if he was black. But apartheid? It wasn't apartheid yet, actually. After reading through it, it sounds like racial segregation began in earnest in 1879 with the Native Location Act. And then South Africa gained nominal independence in 1910 and passed the Native Land Natives Land Act of 1913, which restricted land ownership by black people in South Africa. In 31, they're granted full independence from the UK or from the British people. The British. And in 1948, the National Party gained power and enacted apartheid. Okay. So – Apartheid hasn't quite occurred yet in this story. I assume it's taking place in like 1930. So there's still something that could have prohibited a black man from owning a sports arena. Hmm. But that's who I envisioned talking to Sailor Steve. I was just curious what you guys thought. Yeah, I guess with that, the the sound of his name, I visualized uh, an, a native African for this character. Yeah. But you know, uh, I, I guess I didn't really, it didn't occur to me th- that these, um, racial issues may have been going on in South Africa at this point in time. And that actually it may have been really hard for a, a black man to have owned a business or run a business in South Africa during the, you know, 1920s. So yeah, good point, man. I, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. And it would be interesting to hear, uh, what other people, if if you at first visualize this guy as uh, a white man or uh, a native African. I wonder if we have any South African listeners. I don't know. That would be interesting to know, too. Yeah. I know that I, I condensed their history down to like 30 seconds. So <laughs> apologies if I skipped anything. Well, that's the uh, the Cribs notes, right? That's right. Um, but regardless... Uh, Bulawayo has another guy who's asking for a fight. His name is Bucko Brent. And Costigan knows Bucko, right, Luke? Bucko's a butthole. Uh, he's a hard case mate who punches his crew around. I mean, this guy's a big bully. Yeah. That's uh, that's what he's about. Uh, and so Costigan's fought him before. Yeah. And they've had a go around, and he knows this guy. <laughs> he's he's the one that's got the stanky TNT punch. Uh and where did he fight him? 
on the Eleanor, and he was a mate. He's an Australian, and the Eleanor was an Australian ship. Uh, and so Brent especially got his nickname at the Bucko shows. I was broke and wanted to get to Makassar to meet the sea girl there, so I shipped aboard the Eleanor. And so that's where he first met this bully, basically. He was trying to get back to his uh, to his lady, his, his fair ship, and you know, got into a, a wrestle and a tussle with this guy. Yeah. I love that sailor Steve has fought everybody and knows everybody that's on boats in the Pacific ocean. <laughs> yeah. He's got a, uh, a reputation, at least in his own mind. <laughs> but in this case, I mean, Bucko obviously remembers him, right? Like right. this, this is actually something that happened. They do have history and beef with one another. And it's, give it's me your, fun. Give oh. me your best Australian accent, Josh. Good day, mate. <laughs> That's the worst. You could read, read his dialogue. Uh, no, I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> but it boils down to he he'll fight he'll fight the the blasted yank. At last, you blasted yank. <laughs> I can't do it. Just for schnitz and giggles, and in this last fight that he that the Costigan had with him in in a Costigan fashion on the boat threw him like off the poop or down like to the next level of the poop deck or something mm-hmm. right and so just broke broken arm three cracked ribs and a busted nose uh yeah i mean you, it's just funny to think about how these uh on board fights went down uh but also bucko uh accuses costigan of hitting him with a hand spike and costigan responds and saying uh, a fine bird you are talking about hand spikes after trying to tear off a section of the main rail to sock me with. So these these fights weren't you know sanctioned scientific boxing matches. They were brawls. They these two guys were at each other's throats. I mean, we see this all the time in the halls of our departments on campus, right? This is basically a summary of everyday. At work for me. I don't know about you guys. I, people with microscopes usually. I don't use handrails. <laughs> <laughs> but they, the fight's on. These two, they're going to throw down in the ring, South African Sports Arena. who is super pumped. And they get him in the ring. And this this is a, a clear-cut Steve Costigan fight. Like, he's going to be the slugger. And uh, the Australian, what's it, Bucko Brent is more of a boxer puncher, right? And mm-hmm. they, they, they go at each other for a little while. They weigh about the same, but Bucko has about an inch or two height advantage on him. Yeah, he's kind of a a slack, slightly slightly thin slightly thin down, you know, partner up here to Costigan. And yep. and he's got that that right which will really like throw the stank down. If you if you don't watch it, it's gonna come out. Is that the TNT punch? That that would be the TNT punch. We've got an American fighting an Australian. What nationality is refereeing the match, though? Uh, he's British, right? But he's yeah. but he referees it like an American. He gets in there with him. Understand and, this, you blighters! <laughs> you blighters! <laughs> he's he's got like that. a Cockney accent. Oh, there we go. Now understand this, you blighters. When I says break, I means I want no bodily nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, as long as I'm here, this is a blinking gentleman's game. Apologies to the nation of the United Kingdom. I'm sorry, Nomad Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So he gets in the ring with him American style. Things start going. Bucko comes out stabbing with his left. I'm watching for his right. That's where he packs that TNT that Luke is so obsessed with tonight. And <laughs> My wife loves it when we watch a movie and whenever they say the title of the movie as part of the dialogue, yeah. it's like a special thing. Like We'll just look at each other and we're like, oh, did you catch it? They... <laughs> That's where the name of the movie comes from. And so this this story just had me laughing. I'm, rack, I'm racking my brains trying to think of a movie right now that does that. Oh, man. Can you think of one off the top uh, of your head? Well, I just watched, uh, what is it, The Good Guys uh, with uh, Russell Crowe and mm-hmm. Gosling. And, and at one point, uh, one of them says, you ain't no good guy. And like... My wife was in the in the kitchen, <laughs> like, and I turned around. And I'm like, "Did you hear that? Did you?" <laughs> She's like, "Yes, I heard it." And so it was just we had to like stop the movie and and wait until we got back centered. I feel like Brubaker or Garth Ennis or somebody says that that's you have to do that. That like a comic and a movie and a script, you you have to use the title somewhere in the script. I could I could see that. I could see that. It, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it works, like, especially if it's, uh, slightly, if, it, if it's not too on the nose, yeah. it makes it even more of a special thing. Now is the time for the Empire to strike back. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even see it coming. <laughs> Ridiculous. Okay, so we got a fighter on our hands, John. That's true, we do. They're punching, there's a left hook. Uh, in this story, Staler Steve describes the fact that the crowds don't always know what's going on in the ring. Uh, their eyes miss some of the most important punches that happen in a match. They see the wild swings and the haymakers, but they miss most of the real punishing blows. The short, quick smashes landed in close, which is what Steve is doing to Brent. Brent keeps coming in trying to get that TNT punch to go. And Sailor Steve gets him under the heart a few times, in the core, in the kidney. And he's just sapping old bucko Brin of all his strength with these quick punches. I think it would be interesting to hear from Chris Gruber about that paragraph because he's a fighter, right? True, and, true. and so I wonder if he watches a fight differently than any three of us or any, any one of us three would watch the same fight. I wonder if he notices those, those little punches that actually matter in the, the long game of the fight. Uh, whereas, you know, at least for myself, I'm looking for those big knockout punches or those, those big, you know, uh, shots to the face or, or the body that really are gonna go a long way toward wearing down the, uh, the other fighter. And it really looks like Bucko's winning. It says the crowd went clean crazy when Bucko tore into me, ripping both hands to head and body as fast as he could. Steve one after the other, it looked like I was clean swamped, but them that knowed me tripled their bets. Brent wasn't hurting me none, cutting me up a little, but he was hitting too fast to be punching much weight behind his smacks. Pretty soon I drove a glove through the flurry of his punches. His grunt was plainly heard throughout the house. He shot both hands to my head, and I came back with a loop and left to the body, which sunk in nearly up to the wrist. I think It was kind of like a bull fighting a tiger, I reckon, which yeah. is a good description. That's what I was about to say, uh, that that sentence sort of encapsulates this fight. It encapsulates Taylor, Taylor Steve. Well, yeah, he's a bull, but, you know, <laughs> in the last uh, story, the fight with Sven was like a bull fighting a bull, right? That's true. That's true. A bulldog fighting a bull. I guess you're right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, things don't 
go quite the way that Sailor Steve envisions them. There's a little bit of uh, chicanery going on, right, Luke? Yeah, we've got it. We've got the stinky, the stinkiness that's going to come out here, right? Yeah, a little stinky stink, little little stinky stink. And so, <laughs> uh, is it on his? Uh... They break for a round, and Bucko's friends kind of cover him up and work him over in the corner. You can't see what what's happening. You can't see what they're doing to him. Yeah. Sailor Steve doesn't know that anything bad is about to happen, but we as readers, I feel, I was pretty well aware something was either he was going to come something out with a horseshoe in his glove or something <laughs> bad was about to happen. Dynamite. Okay, we're the yeah, we're the omniscient narrator to Sailor Steve's like brain-addled one. Yeah. And well, we he also comes out, he's got stuff all over his glove. It looks like a lot of water had been spilt on his glove. It was wet. And then, thump, right in the face. Somebody smoked a fire into him. Turpentine. His left glove was soaked with it. Somebody get the MSDS sheet out and tell Sailor Steve how to save his eyes. <laughs> but Steve has presence of mind enough to grab this glove, right, and do the quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself, and smacks uh, Bucko in the face with his own glove. And hijinks ensue. Now they're both blind. Squawking around the ring, trying to hit each other. Sailor Steve gets in a in a wrestling match with the ring post. Tries to take it down with a grapple maneuver. That's right. <laughs> uh, Bucko's running around trying to punch Steve, and he catches the ref in the face with the turpentine as well. So now everybody in the ring is blind, and the ref is very upset about this turn of events. <laughs> uh, what does he say, Josh? You got the Cockney going on tonight. How can I officiate this condition? <laughs> What's taking place in the Bali ring? <laughs> That's terrible. Somehow, That's just every, terrible. Every, everybody's off their rocker a little bit. And uh, finally, Sailor Steve figures out where Bucko's at and gets him. Gets him good. And the referee has to be directed by the crowd to where Bucko's at. And uh, he gets to count him out. He's yeah. The ref says, "Where is he?" And some they, the crowd yells, three points off your point uh, port bow," which I thought was funny. Like this guy's like uh, uh, this whole crowd is so nautical that they can't say, "Oh, he's to the left" or "just behind you" or whatever. They have to tell him three points off your port bow. <laughs> Fights over. Sailor Steve wins, gets his eyes saved with some water. You're out, you blasted, blinking, blighting, Bali assassinated pirate. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the referee, as he counts him out, he kicks him in the ribs. Yeah. Each, each number he calls out. <laughs> this is a rough fight. But Steve pulls out another victory. Now he's off to the Seaman's Bar to meet with Shifty Karen. But what happens when he gets there, Luke? Well, he meets up with, with Mike first, right? Yeah, he left Mike with yeah. the barkeep. Yeah, so he goes in there and he... Oh, oh that's right. He leaves Mike here, right? Because mm-hmm. he doesn't want, yeah. he doesn't want uh, Mike to tell, tear Del Rano's throat out. Right. And so he comes in and basically uh, 
might earn uh costigan meets up with the kid but there's a couple other folks there there's shifty bill slain and the kid's sparring partner and the kid himself so actually there's four people at the table right yeah. and, and he doesn't expect to see the kid yeah because he's he remember he's fought this uh bout to get money to bail the kid out of jail right so we went to the bar that he was supposed to meet ever or meet shifty at and he's not there he's a little late so he goes to where Shifty and the kid are living, basically. And he walks in, and all these people are there, and they say, Howdy, Steve. What you doing way up here? <laughs> I brung the dough for the kid's fine, but I see he don't need it, being as he's out. And then Delrano just rips into Steve and and says, points out he's been in a fight, and now they're all just, they, they can't believe that he fell for this. They start laughing at him. And Delrano says, of all the dumb, soft, boneheaded boobs I ever knew, you're the limit. Get this, Costigan. I ain't broke, and I ain't been in jail. You want to know why Shifty spilt you that line? Because I bet him $10 that much as you hate me and him, we could hand you a hard luck tale and jip you out of your last cent. And it worked. I can see that you've been fighting for the dough to give me. Ha, 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 ha. You big chump. You're a natural-born sucker. You fall for anything anybody tells you. You'll never get nowheres. Just mean things. That this kid is saying. Yeah. Uh, and it points out here, you know, uh, in not so nice a way that Costigan really is a caring, nice, stand up kind of guy. He's the kind of guy you would want to be your friend. Right? Absolutely. Like he would always have your back. He's going to be loyal. He might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but. But he'd punch a guy out to get your bail money. He will punch a guy out straight up to get your bail money. And that's friendship. I'd do that for you guys. I was about to say the same thing. (laughs) And so Costigan just lays into the kid, right? Yeah, he sees red. He just loses it. And I think it's funny how we get the, the details of the previous fight, and then this just sort of spills out just really quickly on the page. Steve says... There's rats in every country. If you'd picked my pocket or slugged me from my dough, I could have understood it. If you'd worked a cold deck or a crooked dice on me, I wouldn't have kicked. But you appealed to my better nature instead of my worst. And then just, yeah, like you said, he tears into him and gives <laughs> gives everybody in the room a good old-fashioned American whooping. And we've never seen this kind of violence from Steve Costigan, right? Not really, no. Not just like pure blood red rage. I mean, he he knocks these guys out. And he says, if, if I got hit after the first punch that Delrano threw, I don't remember it. Right? Like, he, he's, he is seeing red, and he's just a man possessed. This is like Conan's battle fury, right? Like, this is, yeah. this is the, the barbaric... Uh, uh, uncivilized nature of primeval man manifesting itself in Costigan, which is pretty cool. Civilized folks are they, discourteous on account of they know they're not going to get their head chopped off. Yeah. Or yeah. knocked off by Sailor Steve. And uh, they learn here a hard lesson. Don't, <laughs> don't do this to Steve Costigan. Sailor Steve says, I then walked forth in silent majesty and gained the street. As I went, <laughs> I was filled with bitterness. Of all the dirty, contemptible tricks I ever heard of, that took the cake. I got to thinking that maybe they was right when they said I was a sucker. 
Looking back, it seemed like to me I'd ever fell for every trick under the sun. I got mad. I got mighty mad. I shook my fist at the world in general, much to the astonishment and apprehension of innocent bypassers. From now on, I raged. I'm harder than the plate of a battleship. I ain't going to fall for nothing. <laughs> Nobody's going to get a blasted sin out of me, not for no reason what the sum ever. But just then, then <laughs> just then, another reason appeared, right, Luke? <laughs> Yeah, we've got a girl coming out of a uh, out of like a boarding house, and it looks like she's getting tossed, right? And so the landlady's there, and bottom line, she needs just a few dollars just to just to make the past week's boarding. And wouldn't you know it, Costigan's there. He's got he's got to help the the damsel in distress here. Yeah, so he gives her his last dime, right? Well, not his last Take dime. Six he's, pounds and call yeah. it even. Six pounds, call it even. It leaves him with not very much left in his pocket. And uh, she says, thank you. I can't begin to tell you how much I appreciate what you've done for me. And uh, she puts her arms around his neck, gives him a kiss, and then runs back up into the house. But he feels like that, I reflected, is worthy causes. A worthy cause can have my dough any time. But I reckon I'm too blame smart to get fooled by no shysters. (laughs) Right. And I think at that point, we, as the omniscient readers... (laughs) <laughs> realize that obviously Costigan just got taken. Right. So, so he, oh, he gets back in and he, he does fish out a couple of nickels. So he's able to get at least like a, a saucepan of beer for, for Mike and maybe one for himself. And he starts talking with the barkeep, right? Yeah. And he said, he offers like an NPC in a final fantasy game. I see boarding house. Kate is in town. <laughs> what? what you mean? <laughs> well, Kate's worked her racket all over Australia and the West Coast of America, but this is the first time I ever seen her in South Africa. She lets some landlady of a cheap boarding house in on the scheme, and this dame pretends to throw her out. Kate puts up a wall, a whale, and somebody, usually some free-hearted sailor about like you, <laughs> happens along and pays the landlady the money Kate's supposed to owe for rent, so she won't kick the girl out onto the street. Then they split the dough. Does this here boarding house Kate happen to be a blonde? Sure thing. And pretty as hell. What did you say? Nothing. Here, give me a schooner of beer and take this nickel quick before somebody comes along and gets it away from me. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> you just see the Looney Tunes thing kind of scroll, scroll across the screen. Right, yeah. Uh, with with Costigan like punching through it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all, folks. That's all, <laughs> folks. <laughs> so what did you guys think of the story? I love it. I love con artist stories. I don't know about you guys, but just seeing con artist stories and fiction and, and everything, I really like reading them. Do you enjoy them? I do enjoy them. Yeah, I love them. I know that this wasn't all about, like, we didn't get to see the 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 foundation work and the build up and the, the hurrah or anything, but we get to sort of experience it from sailor Steve's perspective. Yeah. It's not a long con by any means. Right. But yeah. it it's effective. We see it coming, I guess yeah. it, at, at the very least I knew that this, this guy, um, what was his name? Shifty is playing. <laughs> he is playing Steve Costigan <laughs> now for the, for what reason I, I did not know when I read the story, but you know, once I got to the end, it, it's like, you know, obviously he's he was trying to steal some money from Sailor Steve. What's your favorite con artist movie? 
con artist movies. You know, one that comes to mind is the, and I think it's a remake, but it's, it stars, um, Oh, what's his name? Remington Steele. Um, oh, Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. It's the Thomas crown affair where he's, oh, okay. a, he's an art thief. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, another one is, I guess it might qualify is the, um, film version of the saint. Mm-hmm. Which, I love that one. Uh, it starred, um, why can't I think of any actors names? <laughs> oh, it's, it's Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Pre Batman. Elizabeth Shue. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, stealing the secrets of cold fusion. Yeah, 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 and it's it's kind of a, a con movie, I think. Um, okay, it's it's maybe a little bit different because it's espionage and and stealing secrets and that kind of thing. But you know, I I think it maybe qualifies. How about you, John? Uh, my favorite is Catch Me If You Can. Oh, Catch Me If You Can is good. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie when I first saw it back home in Indiana. Oh, there's a wonderful scene in that where. Uh, Tom Hanks walks past Leonardo DiCaprio and DiCaprio has women on either arm. Yeah. Oh, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's pretending to be a pilot. Exactly. Yes. That's also a really good book by the real Frank Abagnale Jr. If you've never read it, it's a really fascinating story that he tells about being this teenage con artist. <laughs> cool. I also like uh, – Matchstick Men has Nicolas Cage in it. That was actually the first thing that came to mind whenever you, uh, whenever you mentioned the the con men, like like proposition or what was your favorite movie? That question. That was the first thing that popped into my head. That I was, I haven't seen it in so long. I don't know if it holds up, but from what I remember, I really like Sam Rockwell, and yeah. and it just like everybody that's in that movie was really good. The first thing that popped into my head was Ocean's Eleven, but I'm not sure that it is actually a con man movie as much as it is a heist movie. I guess it's more of a heist movie. That's I was trying to figure out if Inception was a con artist movie. You know, and this is the thing. Like, I think that that would fall in there, and I would I would say that would be like that's a that's a that's a caper for sure. Like that's it's doing its thing, and Mm -hmm. you know. like the end of rounders like that was another one that popped into my head like matchstick men and rounders were the first ones but like rounders isn't necessarily a con but matt damon's playing playing his hands and at the end he clearly has malkovich's like like number Mm -hmm. uh i think that's a cool like subgenre of noir and it's yeah and it's more fun it's more playful right how about the ice harvest would that fit Maybe so, yeah, and and maybe it would fit in there, yeah. And if that was, I mean, that movie—that's one of my favorites, yeah, for sure. But it's just they're not necessarily trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes; they're just trying to make it through the night. But there's a double cross right at the end. But it's not really a con; it's more yeah. uh, I'm taking the money kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, Better Call Saul. Okay, yeah, Better Call Saul. I haven't watched it yet, but um, would you I, say that's a con artist, Luke? I think it has. I think it has elements of it. I think it's hard to to talk about this question like as a. I think there's a lot of things that spill over into it because because definitely true. definitely there's lots of cons that play out in Better Call Saul. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, one that just occurs to me is the Lady Killers. Oh yeah. 
Which yeah. is, I, I would argue, a, a pretty good con slash heist film. You know, they're conning the old lady. Uh, yeah, yeah. T- Tom Hanks, yet again, is uh, uh, convinced her that he is a Southern professor, right? Who, yeah. Who needs a quiet room in her home. He wants to rent it so he can study and read and <laughs> play music, right? Like he's, he's a musician. Yeah. Um, he dresses up like Colonel Sanders. Yes. Yeah, and has a ridiculous Southern accent. <laughs> yeah, and I've never seen the uh, like that's based on a on a on a on a previous Lady Killers movie. I think so. I think it's a yeah. remake, but yeah. I don't know how loose it is with yeah. the plot. Or American Hustle. I've never seen American Hustle. It's it's a con artist movie. Oh, oh wait, yeah. I have con seen American. I have seen American Hustle. Yeah, J Law. J Law. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, just, I, wanted, I was curious. What Luke? I'm I'm a positive I'm a positive influence on this podcast. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence, you're a big fan of Jennifer. No, Lawrence? No, I really do. I really like her, and I really like uh, oh Rocket Raccoon. What's his name? Uh, <laughs> Bradley Cooper. Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, yeah. I like I, I, I like. His wife calls him Rocket yeah. Raccoon. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I like everybody in that movie. I, I love Rachel Adams, uh, yeah. but I'm not I'm not too keen on on that movie. I just I thought it was it fell apart for me, but. It, I'm just asking about con artist movies. Yeah, yeah. So I was, <laughs> I was Chris, trying Christian not to Bale. be a, a Debbie Downer. Christian Bale's <laughs> in that movie, right? He gained yeah. a lot of weight. It was yeah. post Batman. Like he stopped working out and started eating a lot of whoppers. Yeah, he looks really good. Like really, like just, Con- convincing. Yeah, yeah. Doughy. I've not seen The Sting, but I assume it would fall into this category. Oh yeah, it's like the the end all like starter outer. So send us an email and let us know what your favorite con movie might be. Absolutely. What did you think of the story, Josh? I like the story. Um, I like the, the stinger, I guess at the end, the best, but (laughs) you don't get the stinger without the, the larger narrative of the story. I like that. And I'm glad that you pointed out that, that Chris, thinks this is a um a representative Steve Costigan story because yeah. now that you mention that I can totally see it it's got all the action right in the the boxing aspect uh it has Steve being a bonehead Steve not really recognizing that things are working against him and getting conned not once but twice in this story <laughs> So I, I like it from the, those aspects. And I really like the fact that, you know, at the end, this beautiful girl cons him almost out of his last quarter. Lucasaurus, what do you think? <laughs> I think this is fun. I think this is, I think this is, a, I think this is fun. Uh, I mean, I, it's, it's good. I, it, it is my, one of my lesser, favorites of the stories that we've read so far of the Costigan stories. Yeah. What's your favorite? Probably the bulldog breed. Cause doggos are the best. I mean, I think there's more to it. <laughs> I think this does have a con to it, but it's no, it's, it's, it's only slightly different from the other Costigan stories that we've read so far. Like it, it's still got the final beat uh, to it. And and it has uh, 
costing and getting twisted up, but there's just not as much character material to it. Sure. For me, but I mean, it, but it, it's fun and it's it's a it's a it's a rollicking good like story. So so I can't fault it on the merits of its writing or anything. I think the character aspects of it are more lighthearted than yeah, than in the other Costigan stories. I think you get a a pretty good sense of who Sailor Steve Costigan is from this story. But I think you're right in that maybe it's not quite as deep or interesting or, or engaging as the other stories. Like, you know, you can still sort of see that something is coming down the pike toward Costigan here. Yeah. You can't quite make out what it is. And the, the twist, I think maybe, you know, it's, it's not as though it's a huge shocker that, Oh, kid Delrano is not actually in jail. And, you know, that's, it's not like that is that re- revelation is heavy or anything. Yeah. But what is kind of weighty here is Costigan's altruism. You know, he's certainly more than willing to set aside his differences with this this kid Del Rano, who's an enemy. Like he's not his friend. They're they're not buddies. They are actually at odds with one another. Um, but because they are both Americans, Costigan is you know kind of a patriot, and he has a soft spot. In his heart, he's a big softy, and you get that from this story. Um, and I wonder how much of Howard is in this tale. You know, like I wonder if Howard would have been as as loyal to a fellow American as Costigan, or maybe a more pointed question: How loyal was Howard to his friends? Would he have fist fought the dude? For bail money for him, I, I get the sense that he would have, but I, I don't know. I think he's more flinty than Sailor Steve. Like he wouldn't have fallen for perhaps the the con as easily. Okay, but yeah, I I think he would be as loyal to a friend. Like if Tevis Clyde Smith was locked up by the British in South Africa, I think Howard would have he would have boxed a guy. somebody. Okay, yeah, he would have punched a ham and egger, but not because he was an American, but because he was his buddy. Okay. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah. And Costigan, we know, is a, a caricature, right? Of sure. uh, a, a million different boxing influences, plus a little bit of Howard's own autobiographical uh, essence sort of injected in. So that, you know, those those thoughts made this story kind of interesting for me. And, and I did like the laugh at the end. <laughs> Next up on the Chromecast, we're moving into some different territory, I think, right? We're going to read an essay about boxing instead of a story. Okay. We're going to read Men of Iron by Robert E. Howard. Men of Iron. Which is confusing because there's Men of Iron, and there's Iron Man, and there's Iron Men, uh, all of which R.E.H. wrote. I think both. Iron Man and Iron Men are both the same two titles for the same story. I think you're correct. And th- that is a fictional story, whereas Men of Iron is more about his favorite style of boxer, these, these sluggers that could take an inhumane amount of punishment and still dole out their own and win the match in the end. Uh, Do you we be- have any business to conclude with? Yeah, we certainly do. We've got some emails from some friends of ours. Uh, first off is uh, Evil Ed sending us an email to let us know 
that uh, he thinks the story illustrates how bad a judge of character our man Sailor Steve is, but he has to be applauded for wanting to see the good in people, even though most of the time it ends up with him in hot water. Uh, Ed goes on to say, I found the fight with Buck very entertaining, especially the scene where both fighters are blinded and the chaos it causes, as it had me thinking about the Three Stooges short, Punch Drunks. <laughs> and then he says, don't spill any drinks, which I have to tell you guys, and knock on plastic table here, I haven't spilled any wine on Luke's carpet in what seems like years. Right? It's been at least we're a doing good. year. I think we're doing pretty good. I think we're doing pretty good here. So thanks for the, <laughs> thanks for the uh, good thoughts, Ed, and thanks for the feedback. Uh, have you guys watched very many uh, Three Stooges episodes? I haven't, actually. Mm-mm. No, I haven't. Yeah, I'm also woefully ignorant in the ways of the Stooges. Um, I remember watching them as a kid. They would come on on our Fox affiliate early in the morning on Saturdays. And I remember watching the the Three Stooges before cartoons got started uh, on Saturday morning. But I really don't know this uh, short punch drunks. So we're going to have to seek that one out. That That might be fun. So thanks, Ed, for the feedback. Uh, we did get some feedback from our friend Nomad Jim uh, on an ep- episode from season two, uh, episode six, the Chromecast versus Red Sonia. Um, and I'll just summarize it by reading uh, Nomad Jim's first statement in this feedback. And that is, I literally just finished watching Red Sonia at last. And wow. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we watched the red Sonia film, uh, way back in season two, uh, discussed this Bridget Nielsen, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger joint way back then. It is an awkward, weird movie that seems as though it was rushed through production and had way too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. (laughs) Uh, on the other hand, I do enjoy that film. Uh, it's, it's a silly, dumb movie that I've liked since I was maybe in middle school. So, you know, I have a soft spot, uh, soft spot in my heart for the red Sony movie. It's not a good film. I think Nomad <laughs> Jim knows that now. <laughs> was that episode almost three years ago at this point? I think it was. And yeah. It's been a while. Old. Yeah. It's been a while. Uh, he he finishes his statements on the the film with uh, one line, and that is "bah." <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, uh, and that's all the feedback we have for this episode. But if you'd like to send us some, you can email us at thecromcast at gmail or you can call us and leave us a voicemail at eight five nine four two nine crom. Get your parents' permission. That's right. Get your parents' permission. I'd fight in a boxing match in South Africa for both of you. I'd fight for anybody that listens to the Chromecast. That's right. Yeah, I and would I too. I hope they would too. I, ho- I know they would. I know they would. Right, Luke? Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> and we'll see you next time down the road of champions.
can we just do a basketball podcast tonight? Okay. <laughs> do, 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 do. Josh, the sad UK fan here. John, the sad Purdue fan here. <laughs> and Luke, who's won his bracket pool. <laughs> the, 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 the unwise, unknowing bracket winner. I am proof or- that, that bracketology. Yeah. <laughs> bracketology is, bracketology is, is a, is a f- sham.